I remember the days when I didn't even have enough money to be able to uh, afford proper food. And uh, my dinner used to be, uh, I would have a banana for dinner because that was the only thing I could afford. So I've been, I've been in those times. I, I know what it's like to be without money. Welcome to another insightful and amazing episode of Inspiring Explorers. And this is your host, Manakshi Srivastava, also known as My Boho Poet. Each week, I'll be interviewing some of the most successful personalities from around the world who will share with us their inspiring life journeys and some amazing travel experiences that are not limited to sightseeing. Our today's inspiring explorer is an award-winning financial advisor, wealth specialist, international public speaker, entrepreneur, and a best-selling author. This inspiring explorer is none other than Ron Malhotra. Ron is also the managing director of Maple Tree Wealth and founder of the successful Mail Global. He has also been featured in Forbes, Australian Financial Review, Money Magazine, Smart Investor, Entrepreneur, ABC, and more. Ron developed a passion for learning about wealth creation after seeing that his parents struggled financially even after several years of hard work with good incomes in their successful careers. Now, let me inform you that while we are recording this episode, the COVID lockdown has been eased out a bit and traveling is allowed a little bit in India, although Australia, where Ron lives, is still on strict lockdown. This recording was done over Zoom and if you notice any network errors, please ignore them and I hope you still enjoy this episode. Please do listen to this episode and if on YouTube, do watch this episode till the end to listen to Ron share some of his amazing travel experiences around the world and especially in India. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, follow and share this episode and hopefully leave a review so that I know we are in this journey together. Also, do check out the links in the description box below to connect with me and Ron on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, etc. So without any further ado, let me welcome our amazing guest for today, Ron Malhotra. Welcome to Inspiring Explorers, Ron. Well, yeah. thank you for having me. It was I'm, I remember when we had a uh, we had a, some time to have a discussion in Mumbai. So it's nice to see that you have your own podcast. Uh, so thank you for having me. It's a pleasure completely. So honored to have you here and super excited for this conversation ahead. So as you mentioned, I met you the last time I met you was in Mumbai in the Feb of 2020. And has the world seen a major change ever since? So I want to ask that what changes has your life seen ever since then? And uh, in terms of, you know, international speaking or mentoring or in even in your personal front. So what changes and if there were any challenges, so what were those challenges and how did you adapt to them? And how do you suggest our viewers or listeners to, you know, adapt in the same way? Well, I, I, I suppose um, being the age that I'm, I am, you know, 43, I have already witnessed and experienced a number of different types of crisis in my life. And so this is not the first one. Well, having said that, it is one of the most unique ones because I don't remember any other time in my life where I was this restricted in terms of my movement um, for so long, you know, and we've in Melbourne, we have been in one of the strictest lockdowns in the world. And so, um, so I wasn't, you know, a crisis has never put me into any type of panic. Uh, the reason is uh, I'm a long-term thinker. So when you have a long-term perspective on life, uh, you kind of understand that things are not always going to be smooth, that there are going to be storms at times. 
there are going to be ups and downs. And uh, I think the name of the crisis changes. Uh, sometimes we call it uh, mad cow disease. Sometimes we call it bird flu. Sometimes we call it GFC. Sometimes we call it Brexit. But the thing is, there's always been some, some type of crisis in the world. And I can relate back to even when I was a child, you know, there's been all these different things that have happened in the world. Or even when I was young, where you had the terrorist attacks. So I think the first thing that I, um, you know, the, probably one of the reasons why the crisis has not affected me as adversely as it has affected a lot of other people is simply because I just take it in my stride to understand that ups and downs and crisis are just a part of life. Uh, the other thing is from an economic point, um, you know, being in the financial services industry for a number of years, I've seen various economic crashes and crises over the years, and I almost expect them, I anticipate them. I, I feel that uh, if, you, if you feel that in the next three or four years, there's going to be no major occurrences in the world that can threaten your psychological stability, uh, your economic stability, your financial stability, if you think that that's not going to happen, then frankly, you are probably living in a fantasy world. Uh, and I don't say this with any disrespect, but I think the moment you take a long-term view, and I think that's why history is one of our best teachers, the moment you take a long-term view, you kind of realize that, you know what? Yes, this is a very unique type of crisis for sure. But ultimately, it's just another crisis. And um, so that's been my perspective in action. Because of that, I suppose uh, we have, it, our business has not been affected. My career has not been affected. My psychological or my health, my psychological well-being and my, my physical well-being has not been affected. Um, but that's not to say that we haven't been affected. It's just that we have not allowed the effects of the pandemic to stop us from doing what we're supposed to be doing, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And uh, like uh, you have been completely into lockdown and uh, before you guys used to, you know, be in places and speak to people on stage live. So how has that change affected and how was it like it was a good thing or a bad thing and how has it affected uh, your business majorly? Yeah, I try not to see things as good things or bad things. I just see I try and see things as just what they are. So the situation is that, yes, we enjoy traveling and we did, and we do several countries each year. And certainly there is no substitute for being with people and being in the midst of people's energy and for the work that we do, which is around advisory training and mentoring. Hmm. You know, we thrive on people connections. So, uh, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing that it's happened, but it was just a case of, okay, this has happened. What do we do next? How do we pivot? How do we adapt? And I always refer back to Charles Darwin, Darwin's, uh, you know, theory of evolution. It's not the strongest or the fastest of the species that survive. It's the ones that are the most adaptable. So in my mind, I always maintain a very light um, attitude of flexibility. Uh, although I'm intensely ambitious around my goals, uh, I also understand that there are so many things that are beyond my control. So rather than trying to control the uncontrollable, I simply try and control the controllable. And when the uncontrollable or the unexpected comes up, we simply adapt and we pivot. And that's been our strategy. So certainly would have been much better in some ways uh, if we were traveling and we were with people because we love it. 
but then for us, well, the case was, well, okay, well, that can't happen now. And there's a lot of uncertainty as to when we'll be free to travel. So what's the next best thing we can do to, number one, continue to connect with uh, new people, two, to solidify our relationships with people who are already in our universe, and three, how do we create an exceptional client experience for our existing clients, knowing that there are, we are limited in some ways to be able to interact with them. And the interesting thing about the human mind, Minakshi, is that when you start to ask yourself the right questions, our minds are very resourceful. We start to find the right answers. Uh, whereas a lot of people right now are not really asking themselves the questions. They, are, they have gone immediately, they've gone into fear. Uh, when an event occurs and you find that you have gone into fear, effectively what that means is your nervous system is now triggered. You have either gone into a flight response, which is basically escaping from the problem. You have gone into the fight response, which means that you are getting aggressive and angry with how things are. Or you've gone into the freeze response, in which case you're procrastinating and you're not doing anything. The problem with all the nervous system responses is that they're primitive responses and once the nervous system kicks in, it actually impacts your ability to think clearly. And once you can't think clearly, you can't really make sound and sensible decisions for your life. So what has enabled me to make, number one, I maintain a long-term perspective, as I said. Number two, I monitor my own emotional state. And I, I watch to see if any of my nervous system responses have been triggered. And, uh, you know, if they have been, then I, I effectively divert my attention back onto my vision and my goals, which is inspiring to me. And then from that place, once my nervous system settles down, I know that I can make sound decisions. But here is the thing, anyone can do this. I, I'm not any special for being able to do this. It's just that uh, it takes a little bit of self-awareness. And for all of those people who feel like, you know, oh my God, what am I gonna do? I feel so helpless. Well, the reality is there's always something you can do. But if you're not asking yourself the right questions, you're not gonna get the right answers. True. That's actually a very beautiful answer, Ron. And uh, like talking about, like you said, that uh, it has not affected you majorly. Uh, so talking about that, uh, some people have this perception. So based on their perception on your brand on social media, they have this perception that you have always been lucky and, you know, uh, to be a millionaire and that you have been uh, very privileged. So can you please share with us the true story of Ron Malhotra? Yeah, and... You know what, um, certainly not privileged in any way. And certainly I have had a lot of challenges in my life and I continue to. The, the question is the reason why it will sometimes seem to people that uh, this person is in a much better position is because the person is demonstrating a very cool and calm attitude towards those challenges, okay? That's not to say that the challenges don't affect us. It's just that the attitude towards those challenges is one that is of calm rather than of being panicked. Now, this is probably one of the reasons why, you know, I have been able to make good decisions for my life and my career and my finances is that when you can control your mental and emotional state or you can redirect your mental and emotional state onto your goals and vision and you know what you want in life, you naturally end up making a series of good decisions in life. So uh, that's not a consequence of luck. That's a consequence of uh, having mental and emotional control over the years. And I attribute majority of my commercial career and financial success to those things. Now, certainly the beginnings were not like this. Um, I still very clearly remember when I was in my early twenties and 
I was unemployable. Uh, I had no money. I was broke. Uh, I had no confidence. Uh, I had no real friends. I had no genuine relationships. So, uh, you know, pretty much anything that contributes to a quality life uh, was missing in my life. So, and uh, I, back then I used to blame, like today, most people blame the economy or they blame the government or they blame their politicians or they blame their employers or they blame their parents or they blame their culture. That's exactly what I did for many, many years. Uh, I always blamed something else or somebody else for what was happening. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I remember the days when I didn't even have enough money to be able to uh, afford proper food. And uh, my dinner used to be, uh, I would have a banana for dinner because that was the only thing I could afford. And I remember the days when I couldn't afford to even buy an iron to iron my shirt. And uh, I would wear the same shirt a number of times because I didn't have, uh, I didn't know how to do my washing. And I, um, and I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't even have the money to buy an iron. So I've been, I've been in those times. I, I know what it's like to be without money, but here is where it gets interesting. Uh, certainly a part of my current commercial or financial success, and I call it success because it's the life that I want. So in my opinion, I'm successful because it's exactly the life and lifestyle that I wanted. And you are successful if you have the life and lifestyle that you want. Um, so from that perspective, I say, you know what, I, I feel that I'm successful today because I have the life and lifestyle that I want, wanted, but a portion of that I attribute to my skills and majority of that I attribute to my mindset. And the mindset, when I talk about my mindset, um, the probably the biggest uh, element of that mindset is uh, my ability to not become the emotion that I'm feeling. It's to observe the emotion and it's to redirect the emotion to what I want, but not become the emotion. And over the years, I have, I'm personally convinced that the more a person is controlled by their emotions, the higher the probability that they're going to make inferior decisions in their life and the higher the probability that they're going to have financial and personal struggles, which are going to be perpetual. So even though a lot of people may say, you know, you're a skilled speaker, you're a skilled author, or you're a skilled advisor, whatever it is, certainly those things over the years have contributed to the current success. Uh, but the thing is, would I have even acquired those skills if I didn't have the right mindset? Would I have made, like a lot of people today, make a lot of excuses. They don't want to work hard. They don't want to learn. They don't want to commit to long-term learning. And that was me for a number of years. So the first problem you have to uh, rectify is how you think. And I think it starts with an understanding of your emotions and being able to manage your emotions. Uh, so Ron, uh, as you talked about having that mindset. So as you said that many years you did not have that mindset. So what brought that shift in the mindset in your life? Well, I, at one point it got really bad for me. So neither did I have any money or I had no direction. I had no control over my emotions. Uh, I had uh, no meaningful relationships. I had no friends. I had no career. So it's really as bad as it gets. And I had no peace of mind either. So literally, you know, as I said, anything that contributes to a good life, I didn't have. And um, at one point, I started to shift in one area of my life, which was money, because I realized that a lack of money can really cause a lot of problems. And I don't know if you've heard the story where I was living with uh, uh, a number of guys who were um, long-term unemployed 
or they were on social security or they were convicts or drug addicts. And that was the only place I could afford to live. And uh, one day, you know, I got into a conflict with them and I was brutally beaten up by them for 20 minutes. And for, I think that was the day that I realized that I never wanted to be in a position where I was dependent on anybody else. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't uh, the best thing I did because what I, at that point, I decided that I was going to become financially successful. Uh, but I, my success was only one dimensional. I only wanted the money. I didn't want, I didn't even think about the other things in life. So what ended up happening was that by the time from my early 20s to my early 30s, I did end up getting in very good positions. I was very hardworking. I was very determined. I've always been very ambitious. So I went from being this confused, um, disconnected person without money to becoming this confused, disconnected person with money. But I was still the same person predominantly inside. I was not really connected within myself. Within myself, I was not really fully aligned. I wasn't clear on who I was and what I wanted to do. So where the shift actually started to happen for me was at the age of 31, when uh, I had my first mentor. And uh, through that mentor, the first thing I did was to engage in a lot of self-discovery. And the self-discovery part simply meant that I needed to go beyond the superficial layers of our identity, meaning going beyond the name, going beyond the occupation, going beyond the culture, going beyond the religion, going beyond all of those identity factors that we take on and actually asking myself some real questions for the first time in my life. Who am I? What is my purpose? What am I really passionate about? What are the number one value? What's the number one value in my life? What are my key strengths? If I have a zone of genius, what is it? What am I really good at? And, uh, and then what I did was uh, I made sure that my, all of my goals, so I was always goals orientated, but I made sure that this time my goals actually aligned with who I was. Whereas in the past, before that, my goals didn't align with who I was. So that's why even when I achieved my financial goals, I was still not confident. I was still not happy. I still was directionless. I was still confused because when you don't know who you are, what kind of goals are you going to set? You're going to set goals based on somebody else's definition of success. And that's exactly what I did. I made that big mistake. So the fundamental change happened when I got a mentor and the mentor took me down the path of self-discovery, which gave me enormous confidence from the inside out. And previously, the confidence was from the outside in. I was looking to buy all the good things to have the confidence, but this time the confidence came from within. And that obviously was life transformational because once you understand who you are and you understand what you want, you practically start to ignore all the noise. Uh, you start to ignore the societal pressures, the media pressures. Uh, you start to you stop worrying about what people think and you start to carve out your own path for your life. So that was the key turning point. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after that, uh, I did a lot of education on spirituality, which was interesting. I I never considered myself to be a spiritual person. Uh, and honestly, I didn't really like spiritual people. I used to think that all spiritual people are brainwashed. Uh, I thought spiritual people are people who need religion. But interestingly, when I actually understood what spirituality is, I realized that even if you have the right psychology, it will only take you so far in life. There is a level beyond psychology and that's spirituality, which is the understanding of uh, energy, frequency and vibration. Uh, but also understanding your connection with the world and your understanding your connection with the universal intelligence and God. Uh, that's where I really felt 
uh, I started to take quantum leaps in life. And now what I tell people is, you know, if you really want to become uh, hugely successful uh, and make a difference and be on purpose and maximize your potential, uh, you need three things in life. Number one, you need to have mastery of self. And that means you got to know yourself and you got to know how your thoughts and how your emotions and your, how your behaviors work. A majority of people have no understanding of who they are and they don't know how their thoughts, feelings and behaviors work. Two, you need a mastery of spiritual principles because beyond our own intelligence in our head, there is a greater intelligence and that governs a lot of what happens to us. And there are certain universal laws that we need to understand. And if we don't understand and we ignore those universal laws, we cause perpetual hardship and struggle in our life. And the third element is what I call an understanding of business and financial fundamentals, simply because we do live in an economic world. And even if you were highly spiritual and you were well connected within yourself and you knew who you were, if you don't understand business and money, you still can't have a great life and lifestyle because you're limited. So it was, it was the profound understanding that, you know, the way these three things integrate, mastery of self combined with mastery of spiritual principles, combined with mastery of business and financial fundamentals, the way these three things intersect is what I call the sweet spot of fulfillment. And, uh, you know, once I realized it and once I started to dissect and unpack my own journey, then I started to teach it. I said, you know what? There are so many other people who remind me of me in the past and they have no idea what to do in their life and they're blindly following their parents or they're following their teachers or they're following the media and or they're blindly following people that they're hearing on social media but really they don't understand the foundational principles that result in ultimate fulfillment so now that i have figured this out and i've been living it for a number of years it's my duty and responsibility now to bring it to other people so that's the quest i've been on for a number of years um, so that's that's why i've been on this journey for quite some time now so like talking about spirituality, Ron, uh, I remember that you shared this with me when I was in Mumbai as well. You shared this one very beautiful advice with me that uh, listen to your spirit. And there's an IGTV video of it as well. And I can provide the link for everybody who wants to listen to it. Uh, do go listen. It's a very beautiful advice that Ron gave me. And uh, so, but uh, recently I saw, you know, like you said that, Initially, you thought spiritual people were uh, brainwashed. And sometimes people also confuse spirituality as leave everything and become a monk that is being spiritual. And recently in your uh, one of your videos, you shared that doing a business or business is one uh, thing that, you know, can be the most spiritual thing that one can do. So can you share your thoughts on that, that how can, uh, you know, thinking about business can also be spiritual? Yeah, I, and that video only went up yesterday, and I, I, uh, I remember that was actually done two years ago, um, but for some reason we published it yesterday. Okay. Um, and when I, when I started to understand spirituality, in the beginning I thought every time I met a spiritual person or anyone who claimed to be spiritual, what I always saw in them was a person who was struggling and unable to cope with how the world works and unable to cope with the pressures of the real world unable to understand how the economy works. So rather than trying to figure it out, what they were trying to do was to take the higher path by escaping it. But rather than admitting or acknowledging the fact that they're escaping it, they conveniently gave themselves a positive label of being spiritual and say, hey, you know, I'm a spiritual person. So I'm not really concerned about the world. I'm not really concerned about the money. I'm not really, 
And I figured out that every single person who ever said that to me was a person who had achieved and accomplished very little in their life. And it dawned on me that after a while of seeing a number of people that they all had the same thing in common. They were all underachievers. They, none of them were making a significant difference in the world. None of them had maximized their potential, but had conveniently convinced themselves that they were more superior or they were higher beings. And as I started to study spirituality, the question for me was, okay, why are spiritual people who are highly spiritual, why are they then born on earth? Because earth is a very physical place and earth is full of suffering and there are so many struggles and you know, um, even nature can be so harsh. So if, you know, if there is a physical dimension and there is a spiritual dimension, then why are the spiritual beings not just born in the spiritual dimension? Why do they come into the physical dimension? So I came to the conclusion that, you know, that spirituality is something that we, we evolve into. Every human being can be highly instinctive and animalistic. Every human being can be highly intuitive and godly. And we have seen in ourselves, in our own behavior, each one of us, if we were to be completely honest, we have seen when we drop and fall into instinct and we fall into animalistic instinct where we feel anger, jealousy, we hate people, we lose our compassion, we go into extreme judgment. And then we've seen our godly sides where we are kind, we are visionaries, we are creative, we are courageous. And so all of life, what we, happens is we, we up and down on these scales. As you become more spiritual, you spend more time in the upper realm and less time in the lower realm, right? Now, that's not to say that if you become spiritual, you're not going to occasionally drop. You still will. Like I, despite my, how evolved I have become as a human being, there are still days when I go back into my animalistic instinct because we are not gods, we are human beings. So we're very prone to those types of behavioral problems and emotional problems. But the, the, the difference is that once you start to understand spirituality, you don't spend a lot of time there. You quickly come back up again and you want to spend more time being your better self. So if there is a higher self and there's a lower self, you want to spend more time being your higher self. The people who commit the worst crimes in the world, that carry out the worst atrocities in the world, the ones that uh, engage in uh, sexism, racism, hate, those people are typically acting out of the animalistic instinct. Do they have the capability to be godly? Absolutely. But it's not going to happen automatically. You have to work your way up. Now, how a lot of people treat spirituality is rather than working their way up, they try and bypass it. Okay? So what they do is they, in my opinion, they delude themselves into thinking that they're spiritual. But all they've really done is they've escaped from the responsibilities of the physical world. Like I know somebody who got married and then decided that he was on a spiritual quest left the parents, left his wife, left all of his responsibilities and went on to this spiritual journey. To me, that's not spiritual, that's an escape, okay? Um, and so I started to realize that true spirituality means an understanding of your connection with the world, not to disconnect from the world, but to connect with it and not just to lift yourself higher, but lift your environment higher as well. To me, that's truly spiritual. So if you actually define what spirituality is, there's a number of, ways, number of ways you can look at it. Number one, it's your connection with the world and others. So rather than seeing yourself as a disconnected entity, you see yourself as a connected entity. You see that everything that you do or you don't do has a bigger impact. 
Second part of this is from a scientific perspective, understanding energy, frequency, and vibration. The parts of us that are very powerful, but are invisible to the eyes and cannot be detected by the sensory factors. Uh, if human beings were fully limited by their circumstances or their physical conditions, then we would never have people who came from backgrounds of poverty and became multimillionaires. We would never have people with disability who became Paralympians, right? We would never have people who have been abused, but then ended up serving a lot of people or became great leaders. The reason why that happens is because it demonstrates to us, and even though we have so many examples of those people in history, we refuse to acknowledge it. We still continue to blame circumstances. We still continue to blame our physical limitations. And we refuse to acknowledge the fact that so many other people had far worse than us, came from far worse backgrounds, and yet they were able to create a significant impact in the world because they were not operating from the mind or the body, they were operating from the spirit. That's the invisible part of every single human being, but it exists in every single human being. The question is, do we understand it? Do we acknowledge it? And do we operate from it? Or do we continue to operate from the body and the mind? So what happens is when you operate from the body and the mind, body is very instinctive. Body wants hunger, it wants sex, it wants sleep. The mind is an overthinker. The mind is, you know, thinks is cunning, it's strategic. But the heart and the soul is where you make your purest and, and best decisions. That's where you really become, because courage doesn't come from here. In fact, this produces fear. Courage comes from here. Courage comes from the heart and the spirit. So anytime you see a person who predominantly makes the decisions from a place of fear, what you're seeing is a person who is overusing the mind. Whenever you see a person who engages in a lot of hate, or you see somebody who engages in crime, you're seeing somebody who's operating from the body. Anytime you see somebody who is creating, expanding, expressing, you're seeing somebody who's operating from the spirit. Because the human condition has all those dimensions, we have to choose which dimension we want to operate from. And it all comes down to number one, an understanding of the human condition. Number two, making choices around what you want in life. Do you want to live like an animal? Or do you want to live like, or do you want to be as close to God as possible? We can never be gods. I don't believe that any human being is capable of being godly, 100%. But we can try and be as close to emulating godly qualities as possible. Right? So to me, that's what spirituality is. And it's about, and, I, and, I, and, I, and the reason why we have so many problems on, in, in the world is because majority of people are still operating from instinct or intellect. And even intellect is not solving the problems. At one point, a majority of people in the world were not educated. Today, we are too educated. And it has not resulted, it has fixed some problems in the world, but it has created new problems in the world. And that's why, you know, intellect can cause as many problems as it solves. But this way we, when we're acting from spirit, that's when we are at our best because we are operating from courage. We are operating from compassion. We are operating from wisdom. So the best decisions are actually made from that space um, and not from coming from a place of fear and competition. And I think that's what ruins people's capabilities. And unfortunately, even those uh, so many people who consider themselves to be spiritual, they're not spiritual. 
you know, and because your spirituality is actually seen in your acts and your results. So when I said the business is one of the most spiritual things you can do, and the, and the reason for that is very simple. Typically, most people who start a business, and not everybody, but most people who start a business and end up making a lot of money, have basically figured out to do what? To solve a big problem at a big scale for a lot of people. That's why that person ends up being rewarded. Contrast that to the mentality of the typical employee who is thinking about who? Me, I'm, I'm only thinking about my job, my car, my holiday, and my families. I'm not thinking beyond that. So the focus is inwards. Whereas when you're running a business, whether you're conscious of it or not, your focus is outwards. In one instance, you're putting the light only on you. On the other instance, you're putting the light on others. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, the video that you're actually referring to, I, I make a connection between abundance and spirituality. Again, this is another uh, delusion that a lot of spiritual people live in, where they say, you know, I don't really care about money because I'm spiritual. So let's understand this for a second. They're saying, I don't want wealth because I'm spiritual. How would it sound if I said, I don't want health because I'm spiritual? It would not make any sense, right? So when it comes to health, we all want to optimize our health. But when it comes to wealth, for some reason, we like, no, I don't want too much of it. Or even worse, I don't want any of it. Now, let me tell you and let me prove to you why this is very unnatural, by the way. Well, what's the most natural thing that we see in the world? The most natural thing we see in the world is nature. The word natural is derived from the word nature. And what is the fundamental quality of nature that we see everywhere around us? It's abundance. Anywhere you see, you can't count the grass, you can't count the trees, you can't count the leaves, you can't count the water that's in the world, you can't count the grains of sand in the beach. Everywhere you see is just constant abundance. True. Nature, which is the most natural thing, has the fundamental quality of abundance. So it's only fair to then say that any person who doesn't believe in abundance or denies abundance voluntarily is unnatural in their thinking. Right Now, if you have that type of unnatural thinking, you are, because the spirit is naturally seeking expression and expansion, what you're doing is you're blocking the flow of the spirit. As if that wasn't bad enough, on top of that, you're convincing yourself that you're actually being spiritual. It's not like there is any shortage of trees or leaves or air or water in the world. There isn't, none. All the shortage and scarcity, where does it exist? in the imagination of some people. In the actual world, there isn't, right? The, the world seems to continue to replenish. And I remember there was a, there was a, at one point they were saying that the world, once the world population of human beings gets to 1 billion, the world will not be able to sustain that. Now we're at 7.8 billion. And we are planning on being at 11 billion by 2100. The year 2100, we're gonna be at 11 billion. So what do, we, what do we do? We have found a way to use and use nature. And of course, there are some examples of people exploiting and destroying nature, but there are many ways if we become creative, the world has abundance everywhere. So if I will not put a limit on my how healthy I want to be, why should I put a limit on how wealthy I want to be? It's not like if I become wealthy, you'll become poor. Well, if I, my health is not going to cause you disease, then how can my wealth make you poor? 
So why would I deny it? Just a very unnatural way of thinking. Um, and I, I, I believe, and I have observed over the years, that those who suffer from this belief unnecessarily create scarcity and limitation and lack in their lives and the lives of other people because they're frankly very misguided about what it means to be spiritual. True, that's really, you know, you threw a new light on this spirituality thing and I hope our viewers and listeners would understand it better and they they should go and you know check out all of your social media channels there's a lot of inspiring and insightful thoughts that ron keeps sharing with us regularly if you keep watching you learn a lot anyway so uh, talking about the human brain as you said and we exploit the nature ron so in one of your speeches you said that human brain can rationalize anything and you gave an example of exploitation of animals like we eat animals so what is your take on veganism Well, look, I was a meat eater for my whole life. And um, then, um, you know, a few years ago, um, I came across this documentary and um, and I saw how animals are killed in a slaughterhouse. And I had seen it before as well. And I had conveniently ignored it because I didn't think much of it. But then I started to be educated. I thought I'll educate myself on what this practice is. And even though my instinct was to not watch it, I always go beyond instinct, okay? I don't allow my instinct to make my decisions. My instinct was to avoid it and ignore it, like most people will. I forced myself to educate myself on the facts. I was astounded to learn that human beings, which is one species on the planet, or human species, we kill 250 billion animals and birds and sea life every single year. I was astounded to learn that 60 billion of them are land animals like cows, sheep and pigs. And I was amazed that one species does so much destruction on every other species. But not only that, how arrogant have we become to believe that it's our right to take their lives for our taste buds. Now, in the beginning my reaction was, you know, but we need meat. So then again instinctive re- re- reaction and then i go hang on let me let me not listen to my instinct because the instinct saying i need meat but let me ask myself this other contrary question does do all human beings eat meat to survive and the answer was obviously not there's a lot of people that never eat meat so then it was like okay then it was this whole argument about oh but we need protein hang on can protein be acquired through non meat sources Yes. So why am I eating meat? Then the third justification came up in my mind and this is how the instinct instinct tricks you, right? Because it doesn't want you to evolve. Oh, but lions eat meat. Um, but lions also kill their babies. I'm not a lion. So literally every objection that came up in my head instinctively to avoid to stop me from changing my habits when i actually used my intellect and my intuitive senses i realized i was in the wrong and so i i said th- to myself you know what um i need to educate myself i need to create enough enough of an emotional impact to change my behavior because i've been eating meat my whole life so how am i going to just give up like this and sometimes we can know something intellectually but it doesn't transform our behaviors so i needed to 
understand internally. So I needed to feel the pain that they're feeling through. I need to feel the fear. And I remember at one point, I was subjected myself to so much footage, disturbing footage that I did not want to watch. That at one point, as my body was starting to hurt, I could feel the physical pain of these animals. So then I, I really couldn't see any reason. And I thought this is wrong. And, you know, here's the where it gets really interesting. You you see all these videos on YouTube or on Facebook where somebody saves a cat or they save a little dog from drowning. And everyone's like, oh, you know, so good to see you loving animals and, you know, so, so much compassionate. This person's a hero. And the same person then goes home and then eats meat. And, and, and I thought this is very, this is very strange. On one hand, we are seen to be heroes if we save one little animal because somebody's taking a video of it. But then in our entire lifetime, if we continue to eat meat, 30 to 50,000 animals have to die for us per person, right? So I'm thinking, what is this cognitive bias that human beings have? How can we, on one hand, be patting a dog and going, I'm a lo dog lover, I'm an animal lover, while eating a piece of lamb on the plate at the same time? And, th and then I was not surprised after when I looked in, I thought this is what the mind does. It makes us blind to our own faults. And we are so conveniently will point out something wrong in somebody else, but we re refuse to reflect inwardly. It was very uncomfortable because I had to own up to the fact that I was doing something that I really should have, I have no reason to be doing. So I definitely think that it's destructive because if you actually, for anyone that says and comes up with reasons and rationalizations as to why they should eat meat. First of all, my question is how much research have you actually done? Because the human mind is capable of rationalizing any belief. As you said before, it is people who kill can rationalize why they killed. Uh, if you look at uh, somebody might uh, punch somebody else and might say, well, this person made me angry, so I punched him. We, can, we are very dangerous like that human beings. We can rationalize anything. But just because we can rationalize, it doesn't make it right. And a fixed mindset person will always refuse to look at the facts because it conflicts with their self-interest. But a person who wants to evolve spiritually and wants to be the best self and has made a decision to be the higher self will go through that initial discomfort and be honest with themselves and go, you know what? Am I biased because my self-interest is being threatened? Or am I actually being honest here with myself? And that's a hard thing for us human beings to do, right? So, you know, it's very hypocritical in many ways that I don't think any person who refuses willfully to uh, find out the facts around animal suffering and continues to engage and makes rationalizations without even investigating it, I don't think that human being can ever say that they have compassion in their heart. They can't. It, and they may not like me saying this right now because it might, it might, you know, because I'm telling them something that they don't want to hear. And majority of people are driven by feelings rather than facts. But if you actually put the feelings aside for a minute and you look at what I'm saying objectively, is it not hypocritical to be okay with doing it? And um, so, yeah, so anyway, so my view is that, you know, we are self-destructive, we're destructive to people around us and we're destructive to animals. So as a species, we can be very destructive, but it doesn't make us a bad species. 
it just makes us capable of doing bad things, just like it makes us capable of doing great things. And then whether we do a lot of bad things or we do a lot of great things in our lifetime simply comes down to understanding and choices. Thank you so much for this beautiful answer, Ron. I mean, uh, one of the best answers, uh, even though, you know, people continue to hurt animals, but I think there will be a little change in them. And I hope slowly and gradually they can, you know, get a little more, you know, aware of this fact that we are hurting animals, even though we are, you know, trying to not hurt them and not unconsciously be aware of that. So be aware. So thank you for that, Ron. Uh, so now coming towards the travel part, Ron. So we travel and then you travel. There's a vast difference because you see things a little more creatively and differently. The way of perceiving things is a little better than what we do. So through your work, you have been traveling nine countries and more than that. Uh, so uh, could you share some travel experiences with us that are not limited to sightseeing, like touching the culture or being in different rules? Anything funny yeah. or unexpected that happened? Yeah, well, um, I, I uh, many years ago, I read this thing by somebody and they said that a person who doesn't travel uh, is very similar to a person who only reads one chapter of a book. And uh, so travel is, uh, I highly recommend it as a confidence building exercise um, and exercise in understanding the world and understanding cultures and people. So uh, it's probably one of the best types of education you can have. And there is, you can always tell the difference between a person who has traveled and who hasn't. If you put, were to put, if both of them had the same skills, same experience, same talent, the person who has traveled more, all things being equal, will always communicate and connect in a way that's very different from the person who hasn't. So yes, we travel a lot and we speak a lot. And one of the things I realized was, um, you know, I always wanted to be somebody who uh, could not just speak well in one culture, but could have the same impact on people in different cultures. So whether we go to India or we go to the United Kingdom or we go to uh, Ireland or we go to the United States, wherever we go, what we wanted to do was we wanted to connect with people the same way. And the question was, you know, can a person who belongs to a particular culture or a particular nationality, can they communicate in such a way that is universally attractive to everybody? And the answer is yes, you can. And that's because when you really not just communicate, but you connect, which is something that you don't do from head to head, you do it from heart to heart, all the cultural barriers and appearance barriers and nationality barriers, barriers are broken. So, uh, so that's something that, you know, we really enjoy. And, um, you know, for me, that is fundamentally the most fascinating part when I travel is to experience the culture uh, and then after the culture, it's the natural landscapes more than the man-made landscapes. I'm not a big fan of going into cities and restaurants and shopping centers because they're all the same, more or less, you know. Um, but it's about the people. That's what I always like to see because people create the culture and the countries have all these unique elements. What I have realized, though, is after a while, you no matter where you go, you feel like you're at home when you understand people. So that's something I realized in myself was no matter where I went, I knew that I could connect with people. I could get, make friends. I could make connections. Um, so once I could do that, then that was, uh, that just changed the whole thing. I never felt like I was too far from home. So um, also 
it's resulted in what I call advanced perception. Once you've had experience in different, you know, cross-culturally in different environments, different people, naturally it improves your confidence. You start to see beneath the surface of people's communication. You stop being intimidated by people. You can mix with a wide variety of people, not just people who are like you, but even different other types of people. So, you know, I think, and I think it has such practical implications even for somebody who runs a business because we have now, we have, you know, clients in 17 countries and wow. wherever we deal with clients, you know, we find the same thing. They fundamentally have the same emotional drivers. Mm. Uh, if you actually look at the planet, planet Earth, how many people have lived on planet Earth? 80 billion altogether, living and dead, right? 80 billion people. If you actually said to most people, what is it that they want? They want the same things, happiness, meaning, health, good relationships, financial security, safety. It's the same fundamental drivers, emotional drivers. Once you actually understand that consciously, you stop becoming uncomfortable with people. And it doesn't even matter how you look. It doesn't matter how you sound. It doesn't matter what your language is. It doesn't matter whether you have an accent or not. All of this, those things only matter when you're too much in your head. The moment you get out of head and you go here and then you communicate with people, even if you have language barriers, nationality barriers, whatever other barriers that you may perceive, they just melt away. And so that's been, a, that's been an extremely powerful uh, thing for me. Um, we recently had a wonderful experience um, just a year ago where we got to stay in a castle in Northern Ireland. So oh. I never knew what it was like to be in a castle. I thought I'll walk in there. It's going to be huge and it's going to be dark. And, you know, but it was, uh, we actually stayed there uh, for a week. And uh, that was an amazing experience because uh, it was a very warm, it was very beautiful. And we had personal experience. We, we dined with the Earl of uh, the castle who was, um, somebody who's owned that castle for many, many years uh, to even see how they live. And, you know, uh, so that was a wonderful experience. Uh, but everywhere I go, I try and have, you know, I try and experience the food. That's another part of it. I always try and experience the food. I like to know what the cuisine is like. Um, some of the, one of the best Indian cuisines I had was in London. You know, I've never even had such good Indian food in India. <laughs> well. So, um, but my favorite thing about when I'm traveling to India is for food. It's interestingly, just because the variety of food is, is so phenomenal in India. But the other thing I like about, I love about India is, and this is something that probably not a lot of people observe, is there is life everywhere. People everywhere, dogs, cats, flies, mosquitoes, birds, <laughs> you know. Um, and some people might find that annoying, but I find it fascinating that there is just everywhere you look, despite all of the pollution and all the chaos and all the suppose that all the corruption that happens at the political and economic level there is this people are just thriving there's just signs of life everywhere that fascinates me because sometimes you go into a country that is very highly organized they have systems and processes and occupational health and safety and traffic systems and there's no life there there's no birds there's no animals and they're so super organized and you don't see any examples of life there it's just it's dead in so many places like that so I think it's the, what I like to see is a good mix of natural intervention and human intervention working together rather than too much of human intervention, because I think it kind of, it, it takes away the natural vibe of that place. And that's why I still love coming to India because 
India still maintained that. I, I remember we were in New Delhi and we were in this busy road, so many buses and so many scooters and motorbikes and cars. And all I could see was just trees everywhere, absolutely evergreen and birds, I could hear the birds. And I'm thinking, how do these birds and trees even survive with all this smoke? But not were they just surviving, it was everywhere. It was like, as I was talking about the abundance, that natural abundance was everywhere. So um, that kind of led me to an interesting belief as well, that we're not supposed to live a very organized life either. A little bit of chaos is actually good. A little bit of disorganization is good. So it's interesting how I infer, you know, how I observe things and how I'm always making my own observations. And I try and see beyond the, the monuments or the buildings. I try and actually see how life works in a particular area. So I try and see beyond what can be seen at the surface level. And that's the part that's very intriguing for me. Yeah, and that's actually very, you know, beautiful thing to see beyond the things that are actually visible to the eyes. Looking beyond is required. Like people should do that often. Everything that is looking and visible and then there's your another perception of looking beyond things. So that's what makes things more interesting and, you know, uh, you learn more wisdom through it. Also, as you talked about the chaos in India, did you find cows in the middle of the road sometime when you were in India. Yeah, I, I did. And the thing is, I remember there was a time I used to think, what, how ridiculous that they allowed them. But then I kind of started to, you know, as I started to become more compassionate towards animal rights, I started to feel that you know, it kind of makes sense that we're allowing other species to co-survive as well. And certainly they, in many places, they created nuisance for traffic and stuff like that. But overall, I understand the philosophy behind allowing other species to coexist. Um, but again, that's another form of a bias again, because again, the same compassion that is demonstrated towards cows is not necessarily demonstrated towards other animals either. And look, I don't know the answer. I'm not saying I have all the answers to this. I certainly don't want to sound righteous. But again, these are just observations that I make. And are my thoughts fully formed? Are my conclusions fully formed around these things? Not really. But I just find all of this stuff quite fascinating. All right. So uh, talking about any other travel experiences that you might have had in any country, like for me, it was uh, in Indonesia, I experienced something really different, like uh, the rickshaws that they use, like usually in India, you sit at the back in Indonesia, they make uh, like the drivers on on the top and the, you know, the person who they are taking is on the front below on the front. So like an open rickshaw, imagine an Indian open rickshaw, but you're sitting on the front and a little below the driver. So like, it's real scary, like a 3D view on the traffic. Well, in that case, my best experience was in a, a tuk-tuk in India with my daughter. <laughs> so my daughter said she wants to take a ride in one. Hmm. So I stopped one guy, you, you just hail a, an auto and you say, hey, I said, this guy stopped. And I said, he said, where do you want to go? I said, just take us back and forth down the same street. And he said, no, I don't do that. So I said, I gave him a big, thick, I had a big, thick bundle of cash because everyone in India uses cash. He gave him a big, thick bundle of cash. I said, listen, I don't know how much money this is, just take it. And he, as he's put the thing on and we went up and down, my daughter was screaming because she was loving it so much because the wind was coming from both sides. So she was screaming. And I, I looked up in his mirror and he had the biggest smile on his face. I think he was just blown away by how much, the experience that he has every day caused so much happiness for my daughter. So that's all we do. We just went back and forth, back and forth down the same. And she just kept screaming the whole time. 
<laughs> so it's, it's like, why, why, why do you love it so much? And at the time, I think she was only four. She's eight now. She's turned eight recently. Oh, she was five. Oh my God, she had an absolute ball. And then um, I said to her, because we went to some other parts of India as well. We went to Goa. Um, and uh, so she spent a lot of time on the beach. We, we, was, we were right on the beach. The pool was overlooking the beach. But uh, she didn't really like Goa as much as she liked Delhi, which was interesting. So when we, um, when we came back, I, you know, my father asked my daughter, he said, so did you like India? She said, no, I like Delhi. So she didn't quite make the connection that it was the same place. Um, but she absolutely loved Delhi. So we had, a, we had a ball there. But there's just too many experiences. I think we have so many cool experiences with people um, <laughs> in India. So they're my favorite experiences because, you know, it's just, um, I don't know, I just, I, I, I just like to talk to people, have small talk. And I, I never engage in small talk in my normal routine because I don't get the time. But the moment you take me out of my normal routine and you put me in another country, I have a small talk with everybody. It's like I'm best friends with everybody. I want to talk to the waiter. I want to talk to anybody that I can find anywhere. So, uh, you know, that just gives me a lot of joy and pleasure. No, oh, that's such a beautiful experience. I'm so glad your daughter liked that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's cool. All right. So, um, talking about uh, you recently launched your book impossible to fail which became a grand success congratulations on that thank you and uh, you're also working on another book now like how quickly are you doing that so uh, that book is out that book is out this week so that's um, already been done it's published this week it's called how to speak like the world's top public speakers wow. and uh, i wrote that book for people to understand that you don't need to use all the superficial tactics uh, that some of the best uh, public speakers in the world actually had a lot of fear and they didn't have perfect personalities, but based on certain things that they did, they became exceptionally memorable speakers, not like the scripted, overly charismatic speakers, but they were very impactful. And so the book is written in a very unique way. Uh, it explains speakers in different times and what they did. Uh, and how a lot of them never got over their fear, but they became, still became very brilliant in terms of being impactful and being memorable. And I talk about glossophobia, which is uh, the fear of public speaking, which is one of the top 10 fears in the world for majority of people. Um, and, you know, how to become a speaker, a good speaker, despite having glossophobia, uh, which majority of people have. And they, people become very self-conscious, and we attach a lot of consequences to failure as a speaker. Um, but how, when you're not self-conscious, how you can become a really good speaker. So I've talked about a number of contemporary and uh, speakers in the past, and I talk about that as well. And I've got a book that I'm writing now, which is my book that's going to come out next year, which is called Indoctrinated. And Indoctrinated basically talks about, the subtitle of the book is how uh, the trad traditional education system perpetuates mediocrity, conformity, and indistinguishability. And basically what it explains is how uh, our education system that we have um, in most countries, including India, uh, is designed to actually uh, produce, it's like a mass production, uh, producing people who cannot think and cannot create. And um, so it's probably going to be slightly controversial, uh, but I'm trying to back it up with a, a lot of research uh, because I do believe that uh, we have a lot of mentees and clients in India, as you know, 
And I find that a lot of them, despite their ambition, despite their intelligence, are unable to think and make decisions for themselves. And I've seen this pattern in uh, many other countries as well. And it's quite concerning that how can people get to a level of um, formal education and even have masters and, and doctorate degrees in many cases, but when it comes to actually being able to carve out a vision and make clear and decisive uh, decisions, um, or even for them to think for themselves, they can't do it. So it's a very worrying and concerning trend uh, because now we're seeing a world where there's literally hundreds of millions of people like that, and they can only follow a system. Um, it's almost like, you know, when, and I don't say this with any insult, but you know, when they put a blinkers on the horse, they put the blinkers on the horse, so the horse cannot look left or right. And I find that that's what the education system does is it puts the blinkers on you and it strips you of your ability to be able to create, to be able to come up with original concepts and for you to even have courage to go after your vision. And uh, you know, those three elements that I talked about, which actually result in life success, they're not taught in the traditional education system. It's, it's unbelievable that you can go through the entire education system, uh, you can get a job and you can go even from birth to death, never asking yourself, who am I? What do I really want? And what is my true spiritual nature? And so many of them have actually given up on the dream of pursuing their purpose and passion to get financial security. But the worst part is they're not going to get financial security either. So they have taken a massive gamble by not going after their dreams and their vision, abandoning it in favor of job security, which there is not going to be much, but even if they were lucky enough to have job security, that job security is not resulting in the financial security that they traded their passion for. So it's a massive lose situation in terms of there is no win-win. There is just massive losing. And that's what we're seeing now where the incidence of um, depression, anxiety, suicide, alcohol abuse, um, violence is all on the rise with a lot of people in the middle class because they're frustrated, they're stuck, and uh, they have no avenue to, they have no pathway that they can even consider to get out of this trap. So the book is, uh, it's got a controversial title, Indoctrinated, which basically means that people are not being educated, they're being indoctrinated, but we, we are deluding them into believing that they're educated. Uh, and this can also be proven by how many people, supposedly the high, highly educated people, when you take them out of their country and you, you, you put them in another country, a lot of them are unable to do great things. They, in, a lot of them struggle to cope. I mean, there, there's a lot of people that come from different countries and they have master's degrees and PhD degrees. And they're driving taxis or they're working in convenience stores. A lot of them, right? Um, why is that? What did their education not teach them? And why is it that a lot of them can't even connect with other people from other cultures? And when you actually speak to them, you see the confidence levels are very low. The self-esteem is very low. They don't make eye contact. They, uh, they put on a facade, a superficial facade of who they are, right? 
So you see all of these behaviors and, and all of this to me is a, a very significant trend of the fact that people are spending 15 years in an education system that is teaching them nothing about life success. True. So the launches are next week? The public speaking book launches this week. Okay. But Indoctrinated is going to be coming out next year. So all the best and congratulations. And I hope this one hits the, you know, best selling on Amazon as well. Yeah, I hope so. But again, it's for us, you know, we don't want to just have a best selling book. We want to have a book that impacts people deeply. And uh, this book is really about challenging the education system that needs to change and change fast. Definitely. And so far, all your books have been impacting. I'm sure this one will be a life changer for many as well. So uh, any last message that you would like to give to our listeners and viewers? I would say that one of the worrying trends that I'm seeing is that people's addiction for entertainment has now been replaced with an addiction for knowledge. So all we've done is we've exchanged one addiction for another. But really, if you want to become successful, it's not knowledge, it's application and implementation for which you don't actually need more knowledge, you need more courage. So what I would be suggesting to everybody that's listening to your podcast, it's great that you are acquiring the wisdom and the knowledge, but please understand that the acquisition of wisdom and knowledge can only be converted into experience through the act of courage. So if you have not, if you're not working on your courage, the wisdom and knowledge that you acquire becomes useless. So that, that's, that'll be my final departing message, Minakshi, because that's something I am observing everywhere. Um, and I think we've just fallen into a new trap. Trap. Once upon a time, we were addicted to sports and entertainment. Now we've just made ourselves addicted to learning. But the, what I realized was that the courage is the, the bridge through which knowledge and wisdom becomes experience. Because without experience, you cannot get the results. And how would you suggest, you know, how do people bring that courage in them? Well, the only antidote to courage is faith. And faith means you've got to believe that you are capable and you've got to believe that you will, the right things will eventually happen. And so uh, the way you do that is by letting go of your need to know everything before you act. You've got to have a form of, you know, and it's been in every scripture, they talk about surrendering, right? This is where you surrender. You surrender. You say, I want this. I've acquired some knowledge. Rest I'm going to learn through decisive action. You can't learn everything through intellect. And fundamentally, you know, if people say, you know, how do, you, how do I get your confidence wrong? Well, I say the only way you can get my confidence is if you take the risks that I've taken. Because if it wasn't for those risks, I would have only acquired intellectual learning. It's the risk that gives me the confidence because I've experienced it now. So that means putting yourself in a wide variety of situations, not just the situations that you're comfortable with. How long have you been in your current job? How long have you had the same current friends? How long have you been doing the same things every single day, every single week, every single month? Is there a change in your routine? Do you disrupt your daily living patterns. And one of the reasons I travel and I 
build businesses or I, you know, I put myself out there every single day, there's a risk with it. There's a risk of judgment. There's a risk of misunderstanding. I do get attacked a lot, especially when I talk about wealth. Because most people have such negative associations around money and wealth that anyone that advocates it is seen as greedy and arrogant. But if I don't do it, I, be, I can be safe, but I'm not going to make the impact. So, you know, every time you write a book, you know, it may fail. Every time you start a business, it can fail. Every time you come up with a new product or a service, it can fail. Every time you invest money in a new marketing campaign, you can lose the money. Every time you make an investment, you can fail. But the thing is, I don't mind failing. Because for me, it is more important to get the experience, which will result in then with the success. So the failure is only a temporary thing. And I think this is where the understanding of failure is a way that you develop more faith and you stop preempting and you stop overthinking. And in Steve Jobs' words, he said, you can never connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. That's a really beautiful message. Thank you again, Ron, for that message and, you know, explaining it so deeply. Uh, so you have been impacting uh, many lives and you have been helping people in understanding their passion and purpose and their missions. And so that they can, you know, uh, make their lives a little more better and realize and get more aware. So um, how can people connect with you if they want to find their mission, passion, purpose and change their lives? Well, I think if you just want to come into the, my universe and just experience what we have, then probably the best way to connect with me is on Instagram at the Ron Mohotra, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn and on Ron Mohotra. You can follow our Facebook pages. Um, if you want to um, just casually watch a few videos, you can go on YouTube. However, if you're ready to go to the next level and you want to make take some committed steps towards your development, uh, you can look into some of our programs. Uh, if you go into ronmohotra.com, we have the MBA of Success. We have Future Millionaires Academy. We have various other programs around thought leadership um, and uh, also business building. You have a mastermind called Legends. So it just depends on where you are in your journey. I would encourage every single one of the people that are listening to you is to make your education and training a part of your annual program for the rest of your life because you'll never be able to outperform somebody who is regularly investing in their education, but don't dabble in it. Dabbling means having a very casual approach, watching a video here, watching a random book, structured education is important. And then of course, if you can also have accountability, so you're taking action, then that's where you will really start to make big quantum leaps in your life. And I'll be providing all the links in the description box below Do check them out. So thank you so much, Ron. This was a very wonderful and insightful session as usual. You open up our minds in so many ways. Sometimes we don't even know that these things exist and you help us understand them. So thank you so much for this lovely session and your time for us. Thank you so much, Ron. I was grateful and it's great to see that uh, you've been on your own journey, Minakshi. So keep developing and keep learning. And I look forward to seeing you at my uh, next trip uh, to India. So thank Definitely. you very much. Definitely. Definitely. I would love to be there. I can't miss a chance to meet you. <laughs> Thanks, Manakshi. Super honored to have you, Ron. Thank you so much. So this was Ron's inspiring life journey so far and some amazing travel experiences. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and got some amazing insights from this episode. 
Thank you so much for giving your precious time to this podcast. If this episode was inspiring and insightful, please do drop a comment on my Instagram and YouTube at the rate my boho voyage. Please do subscribe and give a five star rating and hopefully write a review for inspiring explorers. Also, please don't forget to connect with me on Instagram and YouTube. Drop me a hi or send me a comment so that I know we are in this journey together. This has been Akshay Shivastava, your host for Inspiring Explorers, saying goodbye. See you next week with an amazing, inspiring interview. Till then, take care.